listening to the Advancing Women in Sport podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Michelle Redfern. I'm so thrilled to bring you season two, and I've called it The Boys Club, stories of people who are smashing the patriarchy in sport. In season two, I'm lifting my eyes and lifting my focus to the whole system of sport. I know from the work that I do with clients in both the business and sport areas, it's important to fix systems and remove barriers that prevent women from all walks of life, from all ages and stages in all sports on and off the field. I know it's important to remove barriers for those women to be successful. So my guests on season two are diverse. They are people of different genders. They're in different geographies and of course, different parts of the sporting sector. What season two guests all have in common is that they are agitating, advocating and activating for gender equality in sport. I hope you enjoy the episode. The Advancing Women in Sport podcast is created on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to Elders past and present. I also celebrate the massive contribution that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island peoples have made to sport, and I acknowledge their contribution across the world. Welcome back, listeners, to the next episode of the Advancing Women in Sport podcast. And as you know, in this second season where I'm focusing on or having discussions with people who are operating at a system level to level the playing field for women in sport. And Adam, you've um, you've got a long illustrious career in athletics, um, both here in my, our now hometown of, of Melbourne and um, and back in, in South Australia where you were prior to, to your current role. So I guess when the, the first thing I, I, I want to ask you is you and I both would consider ourselves allies to women. I know, and, and put it this way, someone once said to me, you're not an ally till someone in an underrepresented group calls you an ally. And for me, so you are an ally and, and we've just had that conversation offline. So you are most definitely an ally to women and girls in your sport and, and, and beyond. But I suppose when when did you first become aware that there was a problem to solve or there was a, something for you to focus on in and around gender equality in sport. Yeah, uh, firstly, thanks for, for having me, Michelle, and really looking forward to the conversation. I'm not sure if there was any specific moment where where I became aware, and, and it's always hard to sort of pinpoint that thing uh, going going back through the years. But you know, having worked in sport for a long time now, uh, you know, started out in professional role in in 2008 in, in the sports industry specifically. Uh, and sort of been working in the space ever since. Uh, obviously, the the more time you spend in an industry like that, the more be, you become aware of uh, a whole range of challenges. You know, you know, things like lack of volunteers and all those kind of things are, are fairly standard. But you know, it was clear, I guess, uh, pretty early on that there was some discrepancy in terms of uh, access and and profile uh, of women and girls uh, in in sport in general, uh, and. You know, there, there were some strong voices, allies, as you, you sort of mentioned. Uh, one person that springs to mind who I have enormous respect for is uh, Marg Rouston. Um, people in South Australia would know know Marg, and, and she's been an advocate for a long time and, and a pioneer as well uh, in, in her professional career. But um, people like Marg really raised the, the profile uh, of, of these issues and, and brought that to the attention. And then the work of, uh, uh, you know, Organisations uh, like, say, the Office for Recreation and Sport in South Australia, who who brought that issue to the fore, 
Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of focus too in in recent years around uh, lack of diversity on board and in particular uh, gender uh, balance on board. So, uh, as I sort of went through through the early parts of my career, those things were front of mind. Uh, you know, in for example, when I was uh, I was the CEO of Athletics South Australia for nearly 10 years and in the early days uh, I think we had the the token woman on the board uh, and and for me that just didn't make sense and, and knowing all the research around uh, you know the importance of having diversity uh, in decision making and conversations at the at the board table and in all areas of an organization they're the things that kind of really stood out for me and I think I think I really I have a strong sense of social justice and fairness and and for me I just couldn't understand why why the discrepancies uh, were there, and, and I felt, I guess, uh, as a leader, compelled to um, have a look at that and, and act. So let's so uh, uh, that, that that's a really important point as a leader, compelled to act. So you, you've you've observed stuff through you know your work with as a CEO um, with Marg and and others, but I want to take you back now. In terms of the your life and the and I guess the experiences that may have formed you and shaped you and your views on social justice, because there, there's there's something um, certainly I think about our upbringings. Well, in fact, I don't think I know. We know enough about. Uh, well, I'm no psychologist, but I'm certainly an amateur one. But um, we know enough about our upbringings that there will be experiences that have formed us and shaped us and taught us. Do you think, when you reflect on your upbringing, was there anything that stands out, or, or yeah, what stands out to you? Nothing, nothing specific that I could really uh, put a finger on. I guess uh, you know, just that general sense of fairness. I think was instilled in me through probably a whole range of experiences in my life. And as I say, it's pretty hard to point out uh, one or two instances where that uh, was probably obvious to me as I kind of reflect back, but. Uh, yeah, I think some of that's inherent as well. Like I, I just probably look at the world in a certain way as people do and you, you're obviously a product of your experiences but also a product of the people around you. And, you know, generally as a as a rule, I've tried to surround myself with uh, the right people as well and avoid uh, you know, people that you, you probably don't want to associate with in terms of really negative people or people that, um, you know, have a particular view on the world that is misaligned to, to your own. So. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. I mean, we're all all the product of our upbringing and experience, but I, uh, you know, I've always always uh, felt that uh, yeah, that fairness uh, is is a strong sort of sense of um, uh, just say it's it's something I think that's instilled in me inherently, and and therefore uh, things that I do either in in work or outside in my professional, oh, sorry, personal life uh, have that element of fairness in it and, and that view of the world. And as as a parent now, uh, well, parent twice over, um, I imagine, and I can't obviously speak on your behalf, but I am also a parent. Um, I, I look at, you know, our, our parents are often our first role models. Um, and, you know, you now 
are setting a fairly high bar around fairness and inclusion, uh, integrity uh, to your children. So I think that's it, it's it's worth reflecting on as as humans and as leaders. You know, there's there's the workplace, uh, but that workplace extends out, and particularly for athletics because it's such a, as you said, you you made mention of of the volunteer workforce, and um, you know, I think one of the things I learned, um, and certainly when we were doing some work together last year, was just how big the volunteer workforce is, um, and how how much, um, you know, and and what skill it takes to be fair and inclusive and also get people to, to do what you need them to do. Um, when So when did you decide to take concrete action and what was it around gender equality? As I mentioned uh, in, in the opening uh, part of the conversation, uh, it was probably my work at Athletics SA when I, you know, recognised uh, at a board level that, you know, there was a, a discrepancy in the, the gender balance and I felt uh, that it, I needed to do something about that or I had a role in, in facilitating that even though I don't construct the, the board. Uh, when you're in a smaller organisation uh, like a state sporting organisation where you've got a, a volunteer board who is often uh, often a lot of those members are entrenched in, in the operation of the sport, a lot of them might be officials or have, have some really strong connection to to the sport. So I felt that I had a, the ability to, to shape that a little bit. Uh, and at the time, I remember the, the South Australian Office for Recreation and Sport had a focus around trying to to push more uh, gender balance on on board. So I kind of jumped on that, as, as I have done with a lot of things, I guess, throughout my career, is that if there are other people who are starting to, to advocate or if there's system change that's starting to happen, and I think having a look at that and, and how you can be a part of that. Uh, so I think that's, that was probably the first thing that springs to mind in terms of where I I started to manoeuvre a little bit uh, in terms of starting to have those conversations with uh, key influencers on the board. Uh, you know, obviously terms expire on, on boards, you know, two, three years, whatever the, the rotation is, and, and when you're going out for nominations, uh maybe tapping a few people on the shoulder to say, hey, are, are you interested? And, and you can do things like that that then uh, create opportunities or, or plant seeds in people's mind that perhaps weren't there previously, particularly for women if uh, you know, if, if a board role wasn't on their radar, uh, an approach like that to say, hey, we're looking for someone with your skill set, uh, are you interested? Uh, and then putting forward themselves as a, uh, a candidate and, and then obviously the, the election processes that happen around that. So. That's the first sort of thing that, that springs to mind where I, I think I started to take some some action and I guess the result of that, I think uh, from memory we're going back uh, maybe five years since I left uh, Athletics South Australia now. Uh, when I left, I think the, the gender balance was uh, it was either 50-50 or, or pretty close. So uh, going from sort of one out of the eight to you know four of the eight probably on average, I think uh, – you know, shows that you can make change, and that did take some time as well. But uh, you know, I think the organisation itself now is in a really good position, and some really good stuff happening there. And I think part of that's because uh, of the diversity that exists at at the board table. So I think there's two really important points there for for people listening to to take or pay attention to. Number one is when there's Work being done at, I guess, at a system or a macro level, jump on board. And, you know, certainly in the Office of, of Sport and Rec in, in SA here in Victoria, Office of Women's, Women's Sport and Rec um, and various other jurisdictions around the world, if there's stuff being done, jump on it because 
you know, ride the wave and, and take advantage of it. So I think that's the first call to action. You notice something happening and thought, right, this is a great opportunity. So yes, it is opportunistic, but that's the stuff we've got to be on the lookout for as, as leaders to go, right, here's something we really, you know, here's our strategic direction or our strategic goal and here's an enabler. Let's grab it while we can. But the second and this not but and the second part is something that I think is a really important call to action, which is inviting women and other underrepresented people to come into the system. Often we we will see people hold back, women will hold back, go, oh actually, you know, I don't think I'm quite ready for that board role, or uh, you know, it's it's mysterious and that first you know, rung into board careers or, you know, and, and subcommittees and things like that can often seem, well, we wait. We wait to be qualified enough. Or we wait to, you know, get this under our belt. So when you've got someone like you, a CEO coming to us and saying, you've got the requisite skills, experience, um, and of course, you're um, diverse from the existing group, we would like you to enter into the process. Not a guarantee, of course, because, you know, particularly in sport, member organisations, it's voted in by members and things like that. But that invitation in is so critically important um, and it's it's very proactive. And I've seen enormous success in business and in sport where uh, targeted approaches to addressing a gender imbalance uh, have included inviting women, targeting and inviting I guess the um, the third part of that is also sort of going backwards a little bit is saying, how do I have those conversations with folks that we now might, sorry, how do we have the conversations with folks that might not yet realise that perhaps their time is done, that they their service has been fantastic and the legacy that, that, that they left is terrific? but it's time for them to move on. And I think this is, you know, this is where we start to get into the leadership under duress. You have to lead and have difficult conversations to address uh, systemic unfairness, which, which of course, gender inequality in sport is. So what is... What does that look like? What's your advice for people, for, for leaders who have to start having conversations with how do we either make the table bigger or have some people exit the table to allow others in? Well, you, you've got to start having the conversation firstly. Uh, and I yeah, think you, people will avoid that though, Adam. We, yeah, there's absolutely. some people who still won't want to have a, 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 you know, a confronting or a courageous conversation, right? Uh, absolutely. Cause we're wired to avoid uh, those, those kind of things. And I'm an introvert. So I'm naturally, uh, wanting to avoid those those conflicts and, and those sort of conversations. So, I mean, there are a few ways that you can approach it, but but one, I, in, in all seriousness, I think actually having the conversation and, you know, it does take uh, uh, some, some courage, I guess, to uh, start those conversations, but you can also position it using uh, other bits of information. So, so data, uh, I, I love data. I think, uh, you know, data div- data driven decision making is uh, pretty important, but you can use data to to help uh, raise awareness. And and when I go back to that example around the office for recreation and sport, one of the reasons that I decided that I needed to play a role in that is because the data was was so compelling. Like the the amount of or the lack of uh, women on on boards across the system and, and the industry, it, you know, it, it was it was compelling enough to go okay. There's something not right here. We we need to try and do something to to influence that in a in a positive sense. 
Uh, but there are other things you can do as well. So in, in the example I gave around the board, uh, the constitution of the organisation at the time didn't have term limits. Uh, and I knew that Sport Australia and uh, other organisations had done some work around uh, overhauling governance. Uh, you know, sport obviously comes uh, in a lot of places from an, an amateur kind of kitchen table scenario and, and often doesn't uh, or struggles to, to keep pace with, uh, you know, evolving corporate governance. And so using things like that where you can start to influence parts of the system as well. So one of the first things we did there was actually change to, to term limits on on the board. So that created an opportunity uh, where we had to look at new candidates to, to come on the board. Uh, and then, you know, starting the conversation around, hey, uh, you know, for example, the, the government's doing some work in this area. At some point it's going to be mandated, so we may as well start doing that work now. Uh, and, and so that was really a series of different things to, to approach that and plant the seed using the data to say, hey, here's the, the current state. Here's where I think it's going to go. Uh, why would we wait until we're forced to do that? Let's let's start thinking about that now. Uh, and and being patient as well, that, that's the one thing I think, uh, particularly in sport, things take a long time. I always say things take two to three times longer than, than you would envisage that they would at the start. And, and so being patient and, and seeing that through, uh, which – which can be a challenge in sport given that there's, there's a bit of uh, a transient sort of nature around the, the tenure of roles as well. Um, I'll, I'll probably buck the trend a little bit on that, uh, you know, 10 years nearly at Athletics South Australia and uh, in my current uh, position at Athletics Australia, I've been there for will be five years at the end of this year if, if I make it that far. So, you know, four and, four and, a, four and a bit years uh, at the moment. So I think you, you have to stay somewhere long enough to see that through. Um, and I think that's where you you go from making a little bit of a difference to, to trying to make a, a quite a large uh, st- systemic uh, change. So I couldn't agree more around data. You know, facts and data start a conversation and uh, it can be helpful in starting those those conversations. And, and certainly, um, well, as we record this, it's, it's, it's coming into the week of International Women's Day uh, 2022. And um, I've just had another conversation already this morning about I wonder when I'll have to stop, when I'll stop talking about the data because – I think, wow, surely people know this by now, but they, of course they don't because, uh, or won't necessarily. And, and I suppose for some of your board members, it may be the first, may have been the first time that they were confronted with the data uh, that says actually this is the way we look, uh, particularly from an external viewpoint. Um, I, the, the other piece around the constitution, um, yes, you're right. So many of us have been around those kitchen tables on committees and on, on boards and, and what have you. And, and as we become more professional and, and have, you know, incorporated bodies and we develop constitutions, those things are really important, but it's an important tool as well in terms of good governance, which of course, you, you mentioned Sport Australia and we're looking now uh, in Australia and, and certainly I've got some interviews with folks overseas as well. How do we help sport be much, much better from a governance perspective without overloading sports administrators who, as you said, are often voluntary um, with, with you know, heavy-duty constitutions, but they can be a great tool. But the third one is the one I'm most interested in because it's something I don't possess very much of, and that's patience. And um, as as a woman who's been 
on the earth for a while and in sport my entire life. And, well, you know, I'm a pretty impatient person when it comes to I want to see change. How do you manage yourself? Because I think there's there's just as, – as someone who is so um, clearly very committed to fairness and justice and doing the right thing um, in sport, Adam, how do you maintain your resilience? How do you keep showing up and having these conversations? Because I don't think we can underestimate the power of someone like you and many more like you, but – how do we help you? And and what what do you do to help yourself to keep showing up and having that patience and resilience? Yeah, it, it can be hard. I mean, being a sports administrator, uh, particularly in in sports that don't have uh, a lot of uh, you know dollars to, to throw around, it, it can be hard uh, in in all facets facets of uh, uh, that that profession. But um, yeah, I, I guess I, I've got a background as an athlete as well, so I think that that kind of resilience and tenacity and uh, commitment is is probably something that's inherent in in me as a person as well. Uh, I'm pretty level, uh, pretty pretty strategic as well. So I I have that that kind of uh, um, long term sort of view of the world, and that uh, recognizing that that system change really takes some time, and it takes uh, a lot of effort and. But there are parts where you can you can intervene in that system and and test some things and make some changes. But uh, you know, to change a system that that can't be a one person thing. Uh, you can have some sort of influence. So I guess it's having the perspective of what can you do with the the opportunity or the platform that you've got to do that. And you know, I, I certainly don't want this conversation to come across as you know i'm i'm amazing uh, in in the stuff that i do because i i don't see that at all and in fact uh, you know probably would be embarrassed uh, by that but i think i i have a role to play uh, and i have a obviously a, a privileged position as as a leader uh, and also as a man in the conversation uh, where i can do some things and say some things and, and raise people's awareness around that uh, and have some sort of little influence on on the broader system uh, so, so yeah, I think it's it's just recognizing that you can't change the world necessarily tomorrow, uh, but you might be able to change the world in you know five years time uh, or play a role in doing that. Uh, but recognizing that individually you might not be able to do that, but you can contribute to the broader system change. All right. So in in running terms, you're you're. You're running a marathon and I'm trying to do a 100-meter sprint. So, um, <laughs> but I, I totally accept that um, that. It is a long game. Um, I suppose what I took out of that, though, Adam, is that um, a couple of things. Number one, yeah, playing the long game, but I suppose having the agility or the resilience also to take the opportunities, as you said earlier in the conversation, take the opportunities when they jump up because you're very, you know, you're very clear about what that, what the end game is or that, you know, that, that long game that you're playing. Um, but I suppose that the one that, that I really, want to highlight and I know you I know that you don't want to see your name up in lights but the reality is we don't see enough men and you're a white you identify as a white man um and you are you said the p word privilege um so you have you have a, a bucket load of privilege but you have a platform and you have influence so you've made the choice to step in um and use that privilege and that platform to influence some outcomes towards you know the the end game and i suppose that's the 
That's the piece that I really want to have people take notice of. I know you don't want your name up in lights, but there aren't enough of you that we can see doing that. But it's it's actually so important because I would like other men who identify in similar ways to you who have got power, who have got privilege and have got platforms to say, well, actually, I could do something today. I could do something next week. I could start playing the long game as an ally and an advocate for gender equality in sport. So how, if you were to give those people, uh, and in fact, I include um, I'll include all genders in it because I think there's a whole bunch of, you know, we're not going to go into a conversation about unearned privilege and intersectionality. But if someone's listening and they say, well, okay, if he can do it, I can do it. But, geez, where do I start? Well, it's a, it's a really good question. Uh, and I, I don't think there's there's one real answer to that. But I'll probably point to some of the examples that I've given here. It's, it's identifying the opportunity where you can, uh, have influence and and it could be it could be something large initially or it could be something very small uh, but I think understanding the issue is one of the big things first so you know we talked about data uh, data's really good at helping individuals understand uh, the issue but then also in communicating the issue to others uh, so you know as a as an example so a piece of work we're doing at athletics Australia at the moment off the back of uh, some work we did with you and the uh, development of a gender equity strategy. We know in coaching, for example, where at the moment 43% of our coaching workforce uh, are women. But when we look at the the levels of accreditation, so starting at level one, going up to you know level five at the end, uh, there's good numbers in, in level one and level two in terms of uh, men and women. Uh, but as you go higher, uh, the amount of women drop off really quickly. Uh, and so we're doing a piece of research at the moment where we know globally the research uh, suggests what the barriers are for, for women and, and particularly in the high-performance uh, coaching area. Uh, but we've we've put out a survey uh, to our uh, coaching workforce to validate those barriers and then we'll use that information to actually then translate that into some kind of intervention or action to start trying to address uh, some of those barriers, and, and some of them are very obvious. Uh, for example, you know, family is is a is a huge barrier for uh, women in coaching when they've got young families because of the traditional gender roles of uh, you know women looking after children and, and taking that that role. And it, you know, even even as an advocate, I I grapple with that as well. We, we've got uh, uh, at the time of recording, we've got a two month old, um, so we've got a big gap between our couple of children and. And uh, my wife and I had a, a, a conversation the other day around, uh, I guess, gender roles and, uh, you know, I'm the one working at the moment. She's the one on maternity leave and, and taking a, a good chunk of the, the caregiving. So, you know, even as an advocate and recognising some of the, the challenges we have there, there's still, you know, there's still some inherent uh, uh, structural things within society that uh, that make things difficult to navigate. Yeah, I, I um, couldn't agree more. And, uh and, and I suppose the the thing that really gives me a lot of heart is the fact that you and your wife are having that conversation because as Kate Jenkins, the Australian Federal Sex Discrimination Commissioner, said some years ago, gender equality is not a women's problem and it's not just uh, about women. Men benefit from gender equality as well. And and I look at and I, I recall when you took some time off when Bub was born and, um, you you know, you said to me, I'm taking parental leave, which is outstanding. And, and but, you know, we, ha- we still have men locked into societal expectations as well. 
you know, dad is going to be the breadwinner and the, have the high-powered career and what have you. But what if dad doesn't want to do that? What if dad says, I, I actually want to be hands-on with my kids or or I want to be an elite athlete and I need to have a flexible work um, schedule to allow me to do elite athlete training or I want to contribute to my community or, or but if you know rigid gender stereotypes lock men and women apologies for being very binary around gender there but they lock men and women into into roles so I, I'm, I'm glad that you're having those conversations um well and I think just to so sorry to interrupt Michelle and just to touch on that as a really practical uh example so so it's my wife obviously that's on maternity leave at the moment uh and you know you you often talk about the the gender pay gap uh and the really interesting thing for for me going uh you know there's there's a a reasonable gap in age between uh, our our two children and this time around sort of thinking about uh what the options are in terms of sort of taking some leave and uh government obviously uh has has some uh things in place where you can you can get some um pay uh, but when we look at the gender pay gap and, and exists between my wife and I it, it wasn't feasible for me to take a good chunk of time off uh, particularly trying to access uh government payment to to cover that time off uh, it was actually a disincentive because financially it didn't work and so there there's a really good example of a, a system challenge that, that we have in terms of, uh, you know, uh, giving dads the opportunity to take some time off as well so that that, that works for them. So, you know, it's a, there's a whole range of issues entangled in that, but it was, yeah, for me, it was just something that was really real and, and in some ways frustrating. So the gender pay gap, it, what, what you've said, you know, that structural change and that well, structural challenge and change, you know, and I couldn't agree more. The shopping basket, the, you know, the the, move, the mortgage has to be paid, the food still has to be put on the table. And if you're suddenly saying, well, okay, I'm going to take out a substantial part of our income, um, yeah. So I look at the I look at the Nordic countries who have done this so well for so long for decades, and you know that that reform has to happen to enable. Um, Reform has to happen at a, you know, a legislative or a policy level to enable um, families like yours to make different decisions. But I suppose beyond that, um, when I look at the mindset that you hold around the fact that, well, actually, what can we do? Um, I guess at an employer level, employment level. Um, and then, uh, I guess more broadly at an industry level. So for, for athletics, the thing that I really, um, appreciate about what you, you shared was the fact that yes, there are, there's data as in there's a bunch of research and there's some numbers and you can see that, but now you're going off and validating that and you actually, really delving into what is the lived experience of the humans that we're trying to help be more included and help participate more. Because as we know, the statistics tell, can tell a story, but then you start to get that, that lived experience. Um, and importantly, then you can take action. So the call to action for me is for, for sports leaders to sum all of that up is for find that, find out where you are right now. Get the facts and the data, but then validate it. Validate it with your community, whether that's the women you want to employ, the women you want to retain in advance, the, the volunteers, the kids, the girls, the boys, whatever it may be. But we've really got to understand what are those barriers so something can be done about it. Because I, I get very frustrated that we, 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 and I'm using the collective we, but that 
that we hurtle down these predetermined solution paths to leveling the playing field for women and girls in sport and beyond. And we haven't really understood what's actually going on for the women and girls in our sport or in our, in our ecosystem. And it's just because there's not a one size fits all, right? Yeah. And it's given these people a voice as well to, to let us know what they're thinking and what their individual challenges are. And we've had uh, the survey still open and it's quite a, quite a lengthy survey as well. Uh, but 300 people have taken the time to fill it out. And for us, that, that data is gold. Uh, and as I said, we, we probably know what the barriers are already uh, because there's a lot of international research around it. But we wanted to validate them for our local community because then we need to tailor the solutions to, to those people that we're, we're trying to assist in the system that we're trying to uh, drive change in. So if we don't understand that, we run the risk of uh, creating solutions that actually don't work for the local community. So in wrapping up, and I'm going to ask you one more question, but um, so you've, you became aware um, through your work and you started to take uh, aware of gender inequality, of unfairness, structural unfairness, and you used a range of um, opportunities that presented themselves and then opportunities that you created uh, to have conversations using facts and data to change both at the board level and now, as you said, more, more structurally through, through the, the coaching pathways. You've talked about how you use, um, other forms such as constitutions um, and, you know, other structural things to help um, accelerate or start and accelerate that change. You've talked about your own patience. You play a long game and you, whilst you might get frustrated, my word's not yours, but you might get frustrated, but you know it's a, a, a long game. And you've given some advice about how people can start their advocacy journey. So one final question. And I'm bringing it right back to the short game. Sorry, we're going into sprinting land now, not marathon land. What's the one thing you want to see happen in sport in the next 12 months, whether it's sport more generally or your own sport? That's that's a really, really hard question to answer. I know I'm good at asking hard questions. <laughs> I mean, in, in this space in particular, I think continuing the conversation uh, and I think there's actually been a lot of progress made, particularly in the last little while, uh, obviously, uh, as we talked about offline, uh, sports like AFL have really invested in this area, and that's attracted a lot of a lot of profile. And I think that's built a lot of momentum. Uh, you know, athletics has uh, you know, had had uh, that balance for a long time. Uh, even though uh, probably until the seventies, we had separate uh, national organisations, a men's and a women's association. But you know, for the most part, throughout our history, athletics has had. Uh, uh, equal opportunities for for men and women, um, but there are some you know some issues still that we need to address. So I think the fact that uh, organisations uh, with profile like AFL and, and other sporting organisations have, have started to uh, push more into that area, I think, has created the the awareness, uh, a bit of momentum as well. And so collectively as an industry, I think we need to keep advocating for uh, in, increased change. Uh, so I'd like to see that continue, um, and I'm sure I'm sure it will. I think the momentum is there now, and it's uh, it's like the snowball rolling down the hill. It's uh, it's gone, and it's uh, it's going to keep rolling now. But uh, that that doesn't mean that we stop uh, doing the work that we do across all of our organisations in terms of ag- advocacy and uh, you know particular focus work around uh, gender equality. Uh, so, so that's the the big thing I think for for me in the, the gender equality space is that uh, we just keep working uh, 
you know, <laughs> you mentioned the, the short game and, and yes, it, like anything, there, there are short term and then the longer term things. But, uh, yeah, we just need to keep working hard uh, around that and, and keep making sure that people are aware of uh, the issues that exist and that, uh, that everyone, everyone in organizations, uh, has, has a leadership role to play in this. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO or, you know, you're a, um, you know, a new grad coming in. You, you can actually influence, uh, in that way and advocate. So I think that's something important for, people to remember is that anyone can influence it at any level. Mm, that is a great way to finish up. And uh, I, I will quote from a fabulous mentor and friend of mine that leadership manifests itself at every level in every organisation. It's different, but in the gender equality space, you're right, everyone can be a leader, um, whether you're influencing one person or one million people. Um, everyone has the opportunity to take action. So, Adam Bishop, thank you very, very much for your wisdom for your patience, for your advocacy. I know you don't want to be seen uh, or you're uncomfortable being seen as uh, you know, being put up in lights, but the reality is that we we must hear from administrators like you um, who have, <clears throat> pardon me, who have chosen to take a leadership role uh, no matter where they're working uh, in sports. So, Thank you for your your time, your patience, your resilience, uh, and your continued work. And uh, you know that I'm I'm running that long game with you. So, Adam Bishop from Athletics Australia, thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that you can gain a lot of insights and importantly, take action wherever you may work in sport. Please, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating. It really helps to spread the word. And of course, please do share this episode with your friends, with your colleagues and with your network of people in sport, because together we can close the leadership gender gap.